want to welcome uh, again Scott O'Neill to our pulpit. Uh, come and share God's message with us, Scott. Thank you. Well, good morning, everybody. Can you hear me okay? Wonderful. It's a good house today. I'm, uh, I'm glad to be back, of course, with you guys this morning and once again been given the great privilege to sit in for your pastor, our brother in Christ, as, as they self-quarantine and um, really think of you in that time. Um, gracious family, wonderful family, and uh, I, really am, I really am thankful. And I'm, I'm not thankful just because that was kind of a theme of the message last week, if you recall. Um, it is truly a joy to be here to worship the Lord Jesus at Chili Bible. Amen? Amen, right? Um, we do. We gather together uh, to sing praises to God, right? To seek Him in, in prayer and to submit and learn from His Word. It is a most amazing time that we should consider ourselves very lucky to do. There are many of us around the country, around the world, who are just not able to do that. And surprisingly, in Illinois, of all places, touted to be one of the most progressive states in the country, is, a, is still allowing or giving us the freedom to do that. Um, so we should be thankful for the Lord for just another season of His grace. I know it doesn't seem like that sometimes, but... God is the God of great grace. Amen? Right? Ministries. Many, many have come to a screeching halt because of all the unknowns that we're faced, that we're faced with currently, right? Um, it's safe to say, as was suggested, that um, we're all a bit out of sorts, right? Uh, but uh, even though we're out of sorts, we get to work from this amazing foundation that God does. Um, and we get to press into those really important aspects of the Christian life. Uh, even in a time like this, we can still please the Lord by being a family that glorifies Him. Um, and ultimately, right, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about pleasing the Master, the Lord Jesus, right? And that is the, missid, the mission of those who call on His name and those who are truly on a mission for Jesus desire to do one thing, and that's advance the kingdom of God. And we have that opportunity to be a witness for Christ and watch the work of God and the lives of those around us. We get to experience the joy of gospel progress, and that's what we're going to talk a little bit about this morning. So if you would, back to the book of Philippians right there in chapter one again is where I think Paul is going to encourage us to do three simple things. Three simple things. One, be a witness for Christ in all circumstances. Two, encouraging others to do the same. And three, always rejoicing when the gospel goes forward, even when our witness turns into rivalry. So before we open up the word, if you would, just have a moment with me in prayer this morning. Father, I come now in the name of Christ, Lord God, I'm asking God, for just a fresh measure of grace this morning. God, we need you to fall on us right now and lead us through your word because, God, it revives our souls, it enlightens our eyes, and it is sweeter than the dripping from the honeycomb. 
God, that is more desirable than gold. So please come now, Father, revive us. Um, Be with us now, because in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, I pray. In the name that is above all names, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, if you recall, uh, I argued, or at least made the statement, that arguably Paul is the greatest witness of Christian faithfulness the world has ever known. Um, I I really don't think that there's anyone in the history of Christianity, except for the Lord Jesus himself, of course, that has faithfully served God and gone through more than the Apostle Paul. Uh, I pointed to his resume, if you recall, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And in that resume, um, we learn that uh, Paul was beaten, shipwrecked, hungry, wet, and cold in the wilderness, and left for dead. But through all of that suffering and persecution, he was someone who strived to be a witness for Christ in all circumstances. His witness was not about what he accomplished for the Lord, but his witness was about what the Lord had accomplished for us, his proclamation of the gospel. I mean, it was that good news that made everything in his life so much better than everyone else thought it was. Even when it looked like his circumstances were hopeless and his ministry was at an end, Paul knew the joy of gospel progress. And that's what we see here in this larger section of Philippians this morning. Let's read God's Word this morning together. Starting in verse 12 of chapter 1, the Bible says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel as how Paul starts out this section of Philippians. And it's important for us to understand, right, that by the time this letter was written, the Philippian church was only a few years old. And although they were faithful and they were fruitful, Like many new church plants, they look for encouragement to other successful ministries around them. And the Philippians certainly looked for Paul as an example of faithful ministry and God working diligently through him. And and, um, that gave them oftentimes that extra push, right, to get through those trials that they themselves were experiencing as every young church goes through. So you can imagine what it must have seemed like to hear of Paul's imprisonment once again, right? I mean, how much can one person really go through, right? Beatings, starvation, shipwreck, until eventually people start to think your ministry, our encouragement, the thing that gives us life as a church comes to an end, right? If God is not using you, Paul, 
certainly God won't use me. I mean, you're an apostle. I'm just a simple Christian at a local church. And and I have felt that same kind of discouragement. And have you, is my question today. I think we've all struggled in many ways in that area when we see those things kind of fall apart around us. Um, I know that uh, sometimes I have questioned the call that God has on my life, and, um, and I've, I've certainly been impacted greatly by uh, what seemed to be a wonderful, God-glorifying ministry just fall apart, seemingly out of the clear blue. I mean, right in the landscape of Christian ministry, over the last five years, we have seen some devastating changes happen, right? I mean, good churches loving the Lord, sharing the good news, fall apart and just disappear. I mean, these folks were loved. These folks loved the Lord, and they had a passion for people to know Jesus. But one thing led to another, and before you know it, done. Right? Ministry over and the impact on other people and other churches is significant. Right? Um, an example of that in my life is when I worked for Caterpillar. I traveled to some of the most remote places, um, some of the hardest people, uh, the most difficult people to be around, sometimes up to three weeks away from my family. And there were a few years when every time I went on a trip for Cat, inevitably someone would say, oh man, I just, I'm sorry that uh, the Lord's not leading you to something more of what you believe that he wants for you, um, that it's clear that maybe God is calling you in a different direction than you thought he was. Um, those places were so challenging to be a part of. It seemed like the ministry that God had called me to, the one that I was being prepared for in seminary, God was taking me away from, not towards. And um, it, it was a very challenging time being away from my family and some of the most remote mine sites in the middle of nowhere with no opportunity to preach, no opportunity to proclaim the gospel. Um, and as a person preparing for that, it was pretty devastating. But it wasn't until a friend of mine kind of pressed in on me about this opportunity that God was actually giving me to do the thing I believe I was intended to do. And once I saw my circumstances through this new lens, this clearer lens of gospel opportunity, I could see that God gave me ample opportunity to be a witness for him. And my work for Cat right, didn't take me away from the gospel, but it actually took me to places where the gospel wasn't being proclaimed. And that experience at Caterpillar taught me a valuable lesson. It's something that we should all know about the Christian life, and it's one of the many lessons that these passages here in Philippians teach us. For me, whether I was in Europe or Canada, South America, Western U.S., and through all the traveling and frustrations and long weeks and no sleep and being away from my family, I was able to fulfill my ministry even when it looked like I couldn't. Even when others thought there's no way Right? That it's obviously over for you. The gospel, I learned that the gospel goes with me wherever I go. Right? There's always an opportunity to advance the kingdom when, it go, when I go with it. 
And my witness for Jesus just isn't in my, my home or my small group. It's not just up here on the platform. Um, my witness goes beyond just the Lord's Day. Friends, some of the sweetest moments I have ever had is on the, is on the top of a 12,000-foot mountain talking about Jesus to a miner. I mean, extraordinary doors that the Lord opened for me to proclaim Christ in places that I never thought I would get the opportunity to do that. Because as a Christian, we have a mission. But there's only one goal. Take the gospel, the good news, the news that saved you from a life of suffering, of eternal suffering. And that's we take it everywhere, even if the obstacle looks too big to be overcome. It's the same mind that a military force kind of has when they go into battle, right? They, they have to overcome all kinds of obstacles to meet their objective. But the perspective that soldiers have is every situation is an opportunity to do the very thing they were meant to do. Advance towards the objective. They have to look beyond the current problem to meet their ultimate goal. And Paul's obstacle at this point was house arrest chained to an imperial guard. Just like the Lord used my travel for Cat as an opportunity to advance the gospel, he is certainly using COVID-19 for that same purpose. I got to tell you, I have been so encouraged by the proclamation of the gospel over these last six months. There are more people sharing the hope in Christ and reaching more people than ever before. Yes, it's true. There are monumental challenges not only in our federal government and our states, but in our local churches that we have to overcome. But I've been really encouraged to see this difficult time as an opportunity to proclaim Christ. Look with me, if you would, real quick, at verse number 13. The Bible says this, so that my circumstances, all of this is unfolded in a very specific way when it looks terrible, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all that my imprisonment is for Christ. And I have, may have had a few long weeks of travel, but Paul is chained to one of Caesar's elite palace guardsmen. I mean, this is no joke. 24 by 7, all day, every day, locked together with someone who hates you with the white heat of a thousand suns. And we could joke about who was more afraid. The Apostle Paul being chained to one of those guardsmen or the guardsmen being chained to the Apostle Paul. But even in that situation, even in times like that, when certainly everybody thought it was hopeless, God still made a way for Paul to proclaim Christ. Listen, there are times when I throw up my hands and I think, man, there's just no point, Lord. Look at what's happened in our country in the last 10 years. I mean, the last two years, the last six months, Christians are being persecuted on TV, right? Going through such difficult trials in the Middle East and in China. But even through those challenges, when it looks like the end is near and all is lost, God is giving you, me and them, continual opportunities to be a witness for Christ and advance the mission of his kingdom. We're in a battle right now, right? And that enemy, among many things, is isolation because of this pandemic. We can choose to hide or look at this as an opportunity to encourage others to proclaim the gospel as well.
Verse 14. The Bible says this, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Have you ever been afraid of sharing the gospel? I have. I mean, without question. Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I quote, And when I came to you, brothers, I, di- I didn't come proclaiming the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, the gospel. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Paul learned the gospel directly from Jesus And he was afraid. And we're not talking about just butterflies in the belly afraid. We're talking about shaking with fear. I want you to take heart this morning. When you share the gospel and you're afraid to share the gospel, the Apostle Paul, he was afraid as well. For me, my fear generally stems from man, right? A fear of man. I don't want to be ridiculed or or made fun of. I don't want my tongue to get all tied all up and trip over itself. And, and maybe you're thinking you don't know the right words to say. I've, I've known that feeling. I'm not a great speaker. I'm certainly not a, a preacher. But I got to tell you, it only takes three words. It's only three simple words, him for me. I, I know the message of the gospel is much bigger than that. But when somebody asks you, man, why are you so happy all the time? You ever get frustrated or angry, right? We're locked down and our lives have completely been disrupted, yet you smile all the time. How does that even happen? It doesn't make sense to me. And all you have to say is, Him for me. From that three-word witness for Christ, I have had some of the most fruitful gospel conversations I've ever had. What do you mean, Him for me? What does that mean, him for me? What a door swings wide open for you to do, for for God to do a work through those three simple words. When everything is back to normal, actually, we have a pretty good group here today. But when everything's back to normal, I want you to look around at the people around you in the pews. Parents, I want you to look at your, your children. You could literally be raising the next missionary who will go and preach the gospel to an unreached people group. But history proves this one simple fact. They will get inspired to do that very thing when they see you do it. Just like the men and women who would come and visit Paul in Rome during his arrest, they would witness him sharing the gospel to some of the most, I mean, these were talking about the most scariest people on the planet. But as they watched the Lord work through Paul's weakness and what seemed like a hopeless situation, they saw the joy of gospel progress and the message of God go to places they never thought it would go, Caesar's household. When we see God on the move like that, let me repeat that, when we see God on the move like that, we start to understand where our confidence really truly comes from. It says it right there in verse number 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord. Listen, 
Paul might be their inspiration. Our children, our grandchildren, our friends might be inspired by our witness, by their parents' witness. But their confidence to share the word in the same way Paul does is, is from the Lord. When you're a witness for Christ, what you're really displaying is the power of the one's message you are sharing. When we see someone sharing the gospel, we see the power of God on display. It's a supernatural power that we would never, ever, ever be able to profess on our own. And it's a biblical promise that we will be given power to do that very thing. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Friends, you cannot be a true witness for Christ without the power of God working in and through you. And that begs the question this morning, are you a witness for Christ today? Has God given you the confidence of his presence today? Do you know Christ as your Savior today? If you do not know the confidence in the one who created you, turn to him today. Leave your life of sin behind you and call on his name for the hope of your eternity. Confess him as Lord and Savior and be filled with the confidence only found in Jesus' name. With peace, with eternal peace comes power to proclaim the good news of salvation through Christ alone. Know this, that God the Holy Spirit will fill you and be with you when it's time to speak that message. When you're ready to be a witness for Jesus, which, by the way, is now, the Holy Spirit will give you the power to speak it. Don't ever be confident in your own ability, but know that as a Christian, you've been given that secret weapon on behalf of Jesus. You have the power of God Almighty inside you to help you when you feel helpless. All right, when somebody asks you, why are you so darn happy all the time? Why do you seem so peaceful? You can be confident that the Lord will help you say, him for me. Maybe the response you get is, I've been thinking about, a lot about that lately. Can you tell me more about that? And if you do that, if you stay focused on the mission, I promise you, your witness will encourage others around you to do the same thing, even if there are others who can do it better, Right? Paul has been dealing, or the Philippians um, have been told that, you know, obviously Paul is not everything that you thought he was. I mean, he is in prison again, right? Um, and Paul knows that there are people that are going to use him as an example of what not to do because they think they can do it better. This is what it says here in verse 15 and following. It says this, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. This past summer, I should say the summer before this summer, my son and I had some great father-dad time, right? Uh, on, on the 4th of July. And the morning of the 4th of July, we went to go see a movie together. 
it was that new Spider-Man movie. Um, and uh, it's certainly not the best Spider-Man movie, but I think it was worth the discounted price, right? Um, but there's a great message in this movie, and essentially the movie is this, that Spidey, that's Peter Parker, Spider-Man, he wants to take the summer off from being a right, friendly neighborhood superhero. So he decides to go on a vacation with his classmates to Europe. And when he gets there, right out of the gate, like the first day, this kind of weird water monster shows up, right? And then with it, this new superhero that nobody's heard of, Mysterio. And he flies in to save the day. And, and eventually, Spidey and Mysterio, they partner up because they learn that an even more nasty monster is coming to destroy everything. So it's like super hopeless, right? There's no hope. Um, he's going to destroy the entire world. And like all good superheroes, they create a plan to take this monster, this monster down. As the movie unfolds, what you learn is Mysterio was actually a scientist who worked with Iron Man. In fact, he was the one responsible for creating all that really cool tech that Iron Man uses, all those really interesting weapon systems. But the problem was he wanted to be the one everyone looked to. He wanted to be the superhero because he thought he could do it better. So he created this really awesome but kind of weird virtual reality monster kind of craziness and, uh, to try and make that very thing happen, to make himself look really, really good. And this is an important understanding of this movie. Mysterio, he actually believed in what Tony Stark was doing. He believed in what the Avengers wanted to accomplish. But he was super jealous of their fame. So he used that terrible tragedy of Tony Stark's, Tony Stark's death as, a, as an opportunity to become famous himself. He could have stepped in to help out the team and use his skill to advance the ultimate mission like other Avengers do. But instead, he used it for selfish gain to advance his mission. He became a superhero for all the wrong reasons. Right? He did it out of spite for those who were actually set apart to do that very thing. And this is kind of what Paul is talking about here. There are others who are preaching out of spite because Paul is revered by the church. So they're using his imprisonment as an opportunity to show off how they can get the job done better than Paul did. Right? As I said, he was in prison again beaten, shipwrecked. I mean, bro, you know, how many times are you going to show us that you clearly are not getting the job done? You keep landing in prison. You keep getting beaten and left out in the cold, wet. It's pretty clear that we could probably do it a little bit better. And the truth is this, is that there are some Christians, yes, true Christians who desire to be preachers more out of envy and rivalry than for love for Jesus. They want people to know how good their message is. I mean, every time anyone stands up here and tries to speak on behalf of God, including me, whenever someone preaches Christ in the street, at the high school parking lot, the town square like we have in Washington, or in the drugstore when we try to share and be a witness for Christ, there will always be people around them that think they could have done it better. But we have to keep our eyes on the mission, the most important mission. It reminds me of a time when I worked for this little computer company in Bloomington, Illinois. 
Uh, we had this guy, and he was a super go-getter, right? He was very sharp. He understood the technology that we were trying to deploy and implement better than most people. And every time we would have a company meeting, he would always point out how good he was doing um, while making other people look like they're not doing such a great job. And, and we always encouraged him, hey, man, listen, you are getting it done. You are getting the job done. And the success of the company is growing because of the work you're doing. He was smarter. He did understand the job better. And even though his motives for doing the job were not really good because he wanted all the limelight for himself, the company actually reaped the reward of his work. I think, I really think this is Paul's primary point in these last three verses. It doesn't matter who's doing it, or how it's getting done, as long as it's getting done. It doesn't matter if somebody's better at doing it, as long as the job is getting done, as long as the mission is being accomplished. If their message is the right message, and the reason for them preaching comes from wrong motives, Paul doesn't care. To the point that he rejoices and gladly gives himself as a sacrifice for them to do that very thing. I want to just share the simple insight that I had while I was reading over this passage. And I realized that those who preach for all the wrong reasons, church, they're being used by God for all the right ones. So whether your motive is insincere or out of love, there is gospel progress even when that witness of yours turns into great rivalry. We live in a small town right? I live in a small town, Chile's a small town, and there's a lot of churches all over the place. Some are getting it wrong. They are. And some are getting it right. As long as their method, as long as their method does not obscure the message of Christ, we should rejoice when that gospel is being proclaimed. Some will have a better, inviting, more presentation, and others will leave a little to be desired. But when the message of Christ is proclaimed, we should rejoice. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 13, 10, that that the gospel must be proclaimed to all the nations. The eternal kingdom of God will not be fully realized until this very thing happens. So we got to stay focused on the mission and rejoice in gospel progress. I want to try and encourage all of you who struggle with sharing Jesus. It's a big deal. I understand. But I want you to know it doesn't take a Bible degree. Certainly not a seminary education or a doctorate for some Ivy League school. It doesn't matter if you drive a truck or work on a maintenance crew. You don't have to be eloquent with well-organized thoughts. You don't have to be swimming in the depths of theology like Joe does. It doesn't matter what education you have. If you want to proclaim Christ, if you want to do what Jesus asks his family to do, you need to pray, you need to read and know your Bible and ask Jesus to use you. So when you open your mouth for Christ, the word he implants in you will pour itself out. His word will do the work, right? His word is the word that's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing 
to the soul through bone and marrow. When you're in the Word, He will store it up in your heart and the Holy Spirit will use it when the time comes. This is the purpose of the body of Christ, right? And we love the gospel. We live the gospel. And we share the gospel. I want to close with a comment from Pastor Kent Hughes. He summarizes the mission of every Christian far better than I could ever do. He says this, We each have a calling in life. Some professors, engineers, teachers, lawyers, factory workers, landscapers and carpenters, truck drivers, and even gas station attendants. And yes, some were in fact apostles. But as a Christian, we all have the same calling. And that's a gospel. Gospel is first calling and everything else is second. My dear family in Christ's chilly Bible, we need to be bold in spite of our fear, in spite of our weakness, and regardless of our circumstances, no matter the situation, whether we're comfortable or not, it doesn't matter if we're misunderstood or ignored and people use us for their own gain. If we are truly gospel-first Christians, we will be a witness for Christ in all circumstances, encouraging others to do the same always rejoicing when the gospel goes forward, even when our witness turns into rivalry. And I promise you this very thing. If you stay focused on the mission, if you proclaim Christ in all circumstances, the very thing you're most afraid of doing, the very thing that Paul was afraid of doing will ultimately bring you the most joy. Let's pray, if you would, please. Father, help us to preach Christ today. Father, we want to preach him because he is the sun and the sky and the light that breaks through the darkness. Lord, he is the truth and the life, and no one, no one can come to the Father but through him, Lord. So, Father, help us by the Holy Spirit and give us the power and the courage to preach the gospel today. I pray in the strong and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.